All right. Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, as the last people are starting to grab their seats, and I know there's going to be a bunch of uh, people standing, this is, this is one of the larger crowds that we've ever put together for, uh, for Bad Talk. So thank you very, very much for taking some time out of your, uh, out of your week and um, braving some winter weather to come and, and join us tonight. Um, we've put together a, a really, really good talk tonight, um, as, as I think the, the, your presence here attests, um, on a topic that clearly resonates with a lot of people. Um, and we've put together a, a great panel uh, of experts on this topic. Um, we, we have a lot of, uh, I'm seeing a lot of familiar faces, but for those of you who are new to Bad Talks, uh, this is our fourth full year. Uh, Bad Talks is a uh, quarterly talk series that we do here at the Boston Design Center where we put uh, a panel of experts uh, together to talk about a particular topic that impacts all of our businesses, some things that we might see. Um, typically, none of the topics that we cover are unique to any one business. So they're things that everybody's experiencing at one time or another. Um, it's a very interactive uh, session. So while the panel is certainly uh, experts on the topic, we encourage a lot of audience participation. Um, since there's so many people here tonight, the AC is probably going to be running to keep this place somewhat cool. Um, I'm going to have this mic throughout the night. Uh, if you have a question, which I hope you do, um, raise your hand. I'll come over to you with the mic. Um, might take me a little while to get around, but um, it's important that um, everybody can, can kind of hear you. Because uh, chances are your question is a question that five other people here have. So uh, without any further ado, I'm out of breath. I'm done talking. <laughs> Kyle Hepner. Thank you, John. Uh, thank you all for coming. Oh, don't. These are the folks you'll want to applaud later. I'm just part of the furniture here. Um, but I am, I, my name's Kyle Hepner. I'm the editor-in-chief of New England Home Magazine, uh, which as probably most of the people in this room know, is a magazine that represents to the wider world uh, the beauties and the wonders of the work that all of you do. Um, on behalf of the magazine, we're very pleased to be part of the Bad Talk, uh, and we're very happy to be asked to be part of the Bad Talk up front, uh, because it's a very tangible way for us to kind of participate and give back to the industry that we spend so much of our time and money representing to the public. Um, and so I, I love this real kind of tangible connection that we can have here. Um, it's also wonderful for us that the residential design and construction industry here in New England is so wonderfully collegial and warm and willing to kind of come and share these kinds of things with your fellow professionals, even some people you might occasionally be competing with or bidding against in many cases. Um, it says a lot about our industry that despite those kind of superficial business differences, that there really is a deep commonality here that we all share. And so the Bad Talks are very much geared toward fostering that. Uh, with that being said, um, I will introduce our wonderful four panelists here tonight um, as part of the intro. Obviously, workflow, uh, which we've called the balancing act, is one of those topics that I think is inexhaustible. Um, I think We've certainly, during the time that we've spent preparing for tonight, and I think as you all will anticipate hearing tonight, you know, there is no actual answer to this kind of uh, topic or question. 
so I think what we will be doing tonight, both with our panelists here and with everyone in the audience, is really just sharing thoughts about it and procedures or suggestions for ways to approach how to make uh, a good balance between work and commerce and um, kind of personal satisfaction because it's, it's really a matter of you know, the long-term financial health of what's usually a very small company on one hand um, and the mental and emotional health and I hope happiness of both you and your staff on the other and you have to try to somehow keep both of those things in line. Um, so I won't actually go on much longer than this. I'm happy to say up here we do have people who represent a fair range of company sizes within this this industry. We obviously don't have a lot of huge commercial firms here because that's not the kind of work that we mostly do. Um, but we, to start from small to large, if I can, um, second on my left here is Leslie Fine of Leslie Fine Interiors in Boston. Uh, wonderful interior designer, um, has a crew that roughly oscillates between four and five most of the time. Um, on the far end there is Keith LeBlanc of what is now LeBlanc Jones Landscape Architects. Um, Keith has a crew of about 12 people over in Boston's South End. Um, next to Keith in the blue jacket there is Arthur Hanlon from SRW, or otherwise known as Choprino Wharton, an extremely well-known architectural firm down in Greenwich. Uh, I'm sure many of you have seen some of their absolutely beautiful houses in a lot of the major publications over the years. Um, they have roughly 18 people in that firm um, with a total of five partners, so it's kind of an interesting setup there. Um, and then next to me here is Sarah Lawson from SNH Construction over in Cambridge, who represents the larger end of the spectrum with roughly 60 people, um, not including presumably occasional contractors and subcontractors of various sorts, which I suspect we will end up talking about a little bit tonight. Um, so that is our group. And just to get things started, I will start kind of diving in with one of the harder uh, questions for everybody, which is just to start off with, I mean, what, how do you go about estimating just how much work you need to keep your company fiscally healthy? Well, I think for us, um, it's, it's how um, long our lead time is. So we've got all these calls coming in and we're kind of every month pretty much we figure out, okay, what are we telling customers? And that, that kind of goes between about a month and three months for us. Once it gets less than a month, we start getting a little uncomfortable. And when it's more than three months, we are, we're making people unhappy. So it's really just kind of a real, as it comes in, we can tell. And anybody else want to? I would say um, we, as a company, have been around for a long time and we've basically seen the cycles year after year. Um, we understand very, to a great degree, you know, the amount of money that it costs to run our office on a monthly basis. So we know that that is our baseline. Um, we also know that, um, you know, with, with five partners and, and uh, a wide range of pro projects, we know what we can take on and we know we start to, we're, we're big enough so that we have uh, a number of projects going on at any one time, but we're small enough to know when we're starting to hurt. <laughs> yeah. well, predictably, you will start to hurt some months ahead of Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Like I think that's important because in terms of staying a certain size, 
people ask us all the time, you know, why would you add more projects and add more people and get a you know, much larger firm? We're very comfortable where we're at. So with that comfortable, you know, uh, is a learned experience over, you know, we're celebrating our 20th year. So, uh, and we've pretty much stayed consistent <laughs> with that dozen people for the last 10 or 12 we've, years. We've so, been very much the same way. We've been the same size for what you found that spot. You, you really kind of are in tune to what needs to come in and where deadlines are and you know how to predict things. It's a little more organic now, but it's, it's comfortable uh, without sort of, if I added five more people because three more, more jobs came in, I sort of have a different outlook, I think. You know. I feel very different than the other panelists here because I am so small and because it's mostly really just me and I have some really good people who work for me, but it comes down to me. Um, on the one hand, I am very particular about the jobs that I take on. I mean, I do turn jobs away, but on the other hand, I will never turn away a good job, even if I know that it's gonna mean that I'm working harder over a particular amount of time. Because, you know, as we all know that we, we think the schedule is a certain thing and then it changes and there are ebbs and flows to every project. So some projects are really busy for a few months and then they get quiet and then others. And so I've just been, um, it's really more like a field type thing over the years. I don't have any good like organizational tactic. I just, you know, if, I, if the project feels right and the project feels good, I'll take it on and, you know, do my best at it, so. Yeah, I wanted to jump in um, because uh, I'm a fairly new owner of the company and in the past they've really, you know, um, the previous owners, Doug and Al, have been doing this for a really long time and they have a really good feel for it and so a lot of it is feel for them. And for me, of course, I can feel it too, but um, a company of our size, I'm, we are actually collecting, capturing the information about jobs that we get and um, the project managers say how long they think it's going to take and when it's going to start. And so I'm starting to chart that. So I, because our jobs are, some of them are fairly long and you can really start to see things that you might not, at least for me, I might not have known. I mean, maybe Doug or Alex would have been like, oh, I know, you know, 2018, January, we're going to need <laughs> to staff up. But for me, I need some tools. That actually brings up a, a good uh, question with this, because we've got people here who represent, and in the audience, very different kinds of firms, and I'll be asking for some audience participation fairly soon. Um, I suspect our builders and a few other people like you have a little bit more leeway in certain ways because of the nature of your business. You do sometimes have the option of bringing in additional carpenters and things like that, which I suspect our other three panelists here generally don't. Um, and so there may be slight differences we'll want to talk about between sort of options for when you can vary staff a little bit versus how you have to approach this when you're working with one finite group of people. Uh, do you want to just chat a bit about that to start with? Well, we do have subcontractors, um, carpentry subcontractors. We, of course, have all the, the um, mechanical subcontractors. And, but in terms of our core um, kind of capability with our carpentry and project managers, we have, we have um, carpenters who are very high level, finished carpenters that we've worked with a lot. 
And we just find that we have to kind of, you know, having foresight is very important for those relationships too because we need to be able to kind of tell them, we think we're going to need you in a month, we think we're not going to need you in a month, so they can plan accordingly because they're, you know, they need their check every week. So that communication with subs is very important part of having them available, you know, treating them well so they, they know you're respecting their time. Right. I mean, you mentioned, uh when we were talking on Monday a little bit that you had some technology that you were starting to bring in to kind of help predict these things. Do you want to share any of oh, sure. specifics? I mean, it's that? nothing too fancy. It's just we use a database when we um, intake these calls. And when we get the job, we have to, the person who's saying, yes, we got it in the system has to say, and it's a project manager, because they know when it's going to start and how long it's going to take. And then we're taking that data out of there, and we're just doing charting. I mean, you can do a lot of different um, kind of software for that. We use Tableau and it's just a way of visualizing the data and so that's been, you know, that's been very helpful for me. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask uh, some of our builders in the audience if you have other thoughts to share about particular ways or techniques for tracking the business you've got or thinking about how much you're going to need and if anybody wants to make a question or anything, wave at Oh, sorry. Bob's over there. Yeah, I, I'm Bob Ernst. I was going to say, uh, wave at the gentleman in the red jacket, and he will bring the uh, oh. microphone over to you so everybody can hear. Thanks. Um, so I have a fairly arcane situation. I probably fall more under the, um, with Doug and, <laughs> and whatnot. A lot of it's feel. But it's funny because we have, um, we have 40 people now, and, and a lot of them are younger, and they make fun of me a lot because I have a big whiteboard. I mean, it's like the size of the wall behind you. And I have a mag, I've colored magnets for every two week period for each of my project, each of my foremen, my lead carpenters. And then I, I list the jobs up ahead and I move the magnets up as I need them. And, and, and I literally can look at the wall and have a feel, yeah, it feels pretty good. Or, you know, I can see where, where the weight is. Is the weight on the availability and the likely to convert jobs or in the contracted jobs? And if for every time that a new employee's come in, so I'm going to set you up on the computer so and they spend and I just go back to you know um, looking at it feeling it. I think as a builder that, that that means a lot but we really do just look at our resources what do we have available to produce um, and uh, you know how can we project out um, you know how much time should we spend selling versus producing right and um, it's a balance Kind of for our smaller and less flexible firms, as it were. Not intellectually flexible, but uh, <laughs> size-wise. Um, kind of how do you go about balancing like when you might get a bulge of clients you want to take on and you know who your staffing are, it's like, and you realize that it's going to be driving people a little bit crazy. It's like what are the parameters that you kind of use or think about when you are planning ahead like this? For, for us, I think <clears throat> our clients are happier and we're happier if we're trying to manage everybody's expectations up front. So when we start a job, you know, we, are, we have a discussion about what are the likely time periods for each sort of phase of the job and what are we doing. And, and we try to provide people a schedule that goes out uh, a number of months and covers a number of, you know, different areas, you know, it might be a regulatory, it might be design, it might be construction, but they get a sense of, of what 
the average is so that they're not anxious or unhappy. Um, and it allows us to track along and say, oh, well, this job is going just perfectly or you know, this person is just taking longer to get through a certain phase. So you know, we've got to recognize that that's a, that's a drag on the workforce. And so that helps us keep things in check. And I think to your point earlier, um, we've always been a mom and pop shop at heart. And we've always been telling people that you know, if we can't start, we can start next month or we can start um, two months from now. And during different time periods of our firm, people used to wait a long time. And that is not really the case. And I, I feel that it's very much, you know, people get to a certain point where they say, yeah, I can't wait. And they don't want to wait. They don't want to wait. And, and, and that is uh, another way that it, that problem kind of solves itself. Time gets too long. Can you use that creatively as a way to kind of dissuade clients you may not want to even take for other reasons? <laughs> <laughs> I use that one all the time. <laughs> it's like suddenly the budget triples and the lead time goes away. Uh, you mentioned, Leslie, that you rarely have a time when you can't just take on any project that feels right for you. Is, that, is there something about the interior design field in general that makes that more possible, you think? Well, I think it's the, we all have a variety of jobs, but personally, I mean, some of my jobs are very construction heavy, and some of them are very just interior decorating. And so those are very different things. So I like to keep a balance of that, because when I'm doing a big construction job, that's much more schedule-oriented, working with a team. But you know, when it's an interior decorating job, it's more really, I'm at the whim of the client, personally and how quickly they want to do things or how quickly they can make decisions. So I feel that if I can have a good balance of that, I just keep taking on the good projects. I don't like to turn away a bad project. I mean, uh, I don't like to turn away a good project. I certainly turn away projects that I feel are not the kind of projects I don't want to get involved with. Right. And that actually kind of dovetails with a, another topic uh, in a way, because we've talked, started out by talking obviously with the nut things, which are staffing and economics, uh, which kind of underlie everything. Um, what, for all of you, what are the other operative variables here that might affect what projects you take on versus the ones that you quietly pass by or the ones that unfortunately have too long a lead time or something like that? Or do you, do you ever pass up projects? I, mean, I always say that it's not the size of the project, it's the quality of the project that matters to me. Um, you know, it could be a phenomenal powder room um, you know, with beautiful materials, high-end materials, and that would be fine because I know that that's going to lead to larger projects or that's going to lead to a great referral to a like-minded friend or relative or business associate. So really it's about the quality and not about the size. And I, I just say on that, for, for us, it's really valuing the project and understanding that at the you know, can we see the end of the project and would it be something that we're proud of at the end? I mean, that's question number one. So if it could be the same thing, a tiny roof terrace you know, on Beacon Hill or an estate with you know a thousand acres and horses and, and driveways and you know 
eight buildings, but um, it, both of those could be a no, um, depending on who the client is, where it is, what kind of schedule it is. One of the things that, to go back to your question before though, is one of, the, one of the ways that we can sort of pace ourselves, because in the landscape architecture industry, we're kind of early on in, the, in a, a project that has sort of this whole team of people with builders, interiors, architects, you know, that kind of whole array of consultants. We're early on in the beginning and then we kind of go away mid-project and then we're intensely involved in the end. So really answering the client expectations and inserting ourselves in, uh, in, in fact, setting our kind of own deadlines, making sure that we're hitting the mark in that beginning and then going away and then coming back and hitting the mark of when we're going to sort of gear up again to finish the project is how we sort of can do that sliding scale of basically moving your magnets of, uh, you know, uh, just, just, but first, making sure that we're hitting the marks that are, that are needed for the project. But there's some leeway there, you know. I mean, if we're sort of creative about it, saying as long as we know that we can hit your target deadline to do X, Y, and Z, you know, that they can be, begin to, uh, you know, construction, that we have enough of a set done, that they have a, uh, an estimate done, that they know that that's how much they want to build. Um, I mean, my workflow also, I'm gonna say something very unscientific. I take on projects when I like the people that want to hire me. I feel like I've been doing this way too long, you know, over 20 years now, where I don't want to be around unpleasant people. And honestly, that's how, that's that kind of an unscientific way that I also take on jobs. It's not unscientific, it's philosophical. Right. We, we all want to have projects that are fun. Right, right. We all want to know right. that we can succeed at these projects. That's right. Um, for us, we're looking for projects. We often look for projects that expand our portfolio because clearly, you, you know, you get into a certain niche market where people only know you for one facet of what you do when in fact you do lots of different things. And so um, when we're trying to, to think about the jobs that are um, going to be good for us, relationships, as you say, are, are they're key. Um, Fun would be nice. I mean, obviously, we're asked to be very um, design-oriented in parts of the project, and we're asked to be super practical at the other end of the project. Um, and you know, you want just the right balance of those things, because oftentimes, for your type of work and my type of work, well, actually, everyone here, these are multi-year adventures, and if they're not fun, they really aren't fun. However, I want to say one thing. Um, you know, I talk about I only like to take on really, you know, quality projects that I want to do. I, I have a client who I've been working for with, you know, for over 18 years. And honestly, I would hope she doesn't tell anyone that I do her house because she really has the worst taste. <laughs> and but she is the happiest client. She loves everything I do and she pays a lot of money for beautiful things that she loves, and I would never, ever photograph it. And so I say to myself, honestly, you know, why do I do this? I do this because she is the most lovely person. She is appreciative. She just 
you know, loves the process and is a, a, just a pleasure to, you know, interact with. So, you know, every couple of years I'm doing other houses or other things and I know that it's not going to be anything that I'd want anyone to see, but she's so happy. So you really have to think about when it, with your workflow, you know, your, my quality of life and also my quality of work. <laughs> and my quality of life has taken precedence in the recent years, so. But I, think that's, uh, I mean, that's part of the nature, I think, of this industry because despite all of the people and all of the money and all of the complexity involved, it is a very personal business mm -hmm. and it is a service business in a way. So one important measure of the success of any project is if both you and the clients are happy. Mm -hmm. uh, it's great if the house or the project is something that you can also photograph and win lots of awards for, mm -hmm. but really the happiness quotient is kind of one of the major aspects that you want to think about. Uh, go ahead. I was just going to say that I'm sure that there's a, a really good business reason for not, you know, when you get that feeling early on um, in jobs, I mean, those are the ones where there's fighting about money at the end. So there is, I think that it's not just, you know, it's the quality of your life, but it's also can be a good business decision. Now, having said that, I'm a total hypocrite because we don't, we don't turn down people very much. We will say to them, we get a sense if they call and they, they are far away, they're not, we look at their house and it's not a house that's kind of of the quality of the stuff that we do. We'll say, we don't think we're gonna be the best kind of value for you. And we talk about why, but um, we, I don't, you know, it's very rare that we have someone who, this is like, I shouldn't be saying this, right, Joanne? We, very rarely that I have some, we have someone who, who's kind of so much of a jerk that we say, forget it. We do it sometimes, <laughs> but we don't do it too much. And it's, uh, you, if you know from the beginning, so it's, we talked about this on the phone. It depends on what your volume's like, of course. So, um, but if you know from the beginning, you can sort of adapt for that person. You can make sure your reporting is really just, you know, can't miss and that you're really on the front foot with them. And that you can manage them. And actually, I get a lot of satisfaction when you get to the end of a job with someone who you don't like and they've been really difficult and you manage to get paid. They're happy. Everyone's still speaking. That's sort of a, a whole other level of, of achievement, you know? <laughs> yeah, however, there's nothing better than that feeling of saying no to someone and it opens up the yes. door to good things. I know that sounds kind of maybe hokey, but I think it's true. I think when you're working with really difficult people, um, you know, it saps all your good energy. And I think that, you know, the goal is to take on work that is going to keep the creative vibe going and the happiness quotient up and all those other good things, so. Yeah, I mean, are there any times when you guys have ended up with a project or work that you wished you hadn't taken, or it turned out to be a really oh. bad idea. Well, <laughs> might as well get a How little dirty. How long do we here. have here? <laughs> I want names. No. I think it's kind of interesting because I think that if you ask people, well, the jobs that you took during 2009, 2010, are you happy about those? Um, because you worked really hard and you probably made a lot less money and you put up with a lot of demands that maybe you wouldn't have as easily in better times. And so, yeah, we probably would rethink a couple of those jobs. But, you know, I think when you have tough times, oftentimes you have to 
just be able to shift gears. Um, during that time period for us, we actually um, ended up doing a, a typology that we had never taken on before. We actually ended up doing a casino, of all things, <laughs> um, in, in the midst of you know, what seemed to be real bad times, and it, and it really took us through. And it was actually fun, and it was interesting, and it was a, a different sort of um, typology for us. And so in the end, I think it was a, an unexpected good thing um, that we had a lot of trepidation about going into. I mean, for a lot of people in this room who lived through the recession, which happily we're not in right now, and we'll have a question in just a second, I mean, to what extent was taking on projects like that, you know, that either weren't as profitable or weren't quite what you normally would do, I mean, was that something you did intentionally as an investment in the human capital of the firm, or was it a purely economic thing? I'd have to say, in, in uh, an instance of uh, our firm, one of, the, one of the things that was very tricky, and, and this, this goes back to getting into a, a different typology, we had uh, homeowners, uh, two different clients that happened also to be commercial developers. So it was a very interesting you know, dichotomy there of, of, of them thinking they know how to build their house, but not really knowing that you know, that their wife is on the team. It's not their, you know, like doing a shopping center. It's a whole different thing. But, um, and then, you know, just like developers do, it wasn't, all, you know, the invoices weren't always paid in that uh, timely fashion that we would all like them to be. So, but again, we were in that position like everybody else. We're just gonna, we're just gonna, you know, finish the job. It, it turned out fantastic. The developer recognized that, ended up paying all of his um, invoices, and hired us for some commercial work. So it, it really turned out to be uh, a good thing to be patient about it and not, you know, I'm going to call an attorney, they haven't paid for, three, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, and we had the luxury of being um, nimble enough that we could sort of absorb the, you know, the impact of like, okay, is this going to really come in, you know? And then we had a party when the check came in. But, uh, but it, it, was, it was like, wow, I think that was really a worthwhile effort to sort of stick it out. And because they were nice people, uh, you know, uh, throughout the process, really. But it, it was sort of an interesting, uh, you know, takeaway looking back now. Um, you know, on, on those kinds of projects. So. Do you have a question or a comment over here? Um, so the firms that you work with all have um, name recognition and are established. What is your advice for newer firms in the industry who are on the cusp of being able to say no to projects that are not as desirable as they want but just aren't there yet and they're afraid to say no to the projects that don't fit with how they want to feel and aren't the feel-good projects and um, they might not make money on the projects. Um, what is your advice for firms that are just on the cusp of being able to sort of pass into choosing the projects that they want to do but they're just not there yet because they're so new? Well, 
I, I, I'll go first just because uh, I had an interesting discussion. I had dinner last night with an interior designer who was um, one of the people that first um, gave me some work, actually. Uh, they were working on some houses here in the Boston area, and we were reliving this. This was about 20 years ago. And they were tiny projects. I mean, it was in Newtonville, you know, front yard and a backyard and a driveway, you know. Uh, not a landscape architect's dream job, but when you're first starting out, that was very important to have. And so where we were, you know, recalling some of these things, and for me, it was, it was again, being nimble enough to know what you can take on and what your risk is. So I went, I, I did those jobs. And again, some of them turned out fantastic and were photographable and got some recognition, and then others were not. But at least I felt like um, the portfolio that I was building in terms of my experience, that again, that was the positive for me coming out of the end of the project. Like the, the, the value system was, is it going to be worthwhile in the end? What's going to be the positive takeaway for me from doing this job? And if you can't say, you know, that there's anything positive, whether it's adding to your portfolio or working with some new professionals that you've never worked with before, um, it's, if, if you can't answer yes to any of those, I mean, for my value system, uh, because it's deadly working on a project that you don't want to be working on. It is, it, it is truly deadly. And uh, if you think that it's just, you know, another paycheck and that's something you have to do, it, you know, it's a, a tumultuous kind of, you know, uh, buildup of, of, of trying to sort of, you know, then, you know, a good job comes in and you can't do it because you have this really, you know, bad job that you really don't want to be working on. That's deadly because you do you have to finish the job if you're going to sort of be the professional that you know, you know, and, and you're sticking out for your career here, um, you know, it's something that you're going to have to do. I mean, I would say that it's what you make of those jobs that's really important. I mean, you could take a small job and you know market it to death, take great photos of it. Mm -hmm. You can make a, you can make anything look great with some styling. You know, and market it, and you know, it's about branding, and I, that's a whole other topic which we won't get into tonight. But I mean, I think that if you know someone who's starting out in the business, you just really gotta take what you get and make the most of it. Yeah, you might want to make a promise to yourself: I'll take this one to pay the rent, but then I'm going to spend an extra <laughs> two hours this week, th you know, thinking about what are the jobs that are quality for me, what are the criteria and then do something to get yourself closer to those. Because obviously, if you don't have a choice between two jobs, it takes the real leap of faith that you're talking about to actually just say no and then sit at home going like, hmm. Right. And, it, and, it, and sometimes <laughs> it just takes the one good job that yeah. pushes you over. I mean, I, I remember the one job that pushed me over. And um, it does. I mean, and, you know, and you know, you just, you're taking baby steps, and all of a sudden, you can take a leap, and then it kind of happens. Kind of a question for the room then. I mean, what are, are there times when any of you have taken on projects for reasons that really weren't necessarily financial, um, that had to do with, you know, wanting to keep people busy or just really loving it or wanting to do something crazy? Uh, anybody have stories or thoughts to share about that? 
You just keep in your help in a paycheck every week so you don't lose them. Right. Yeah, well, you mentioned that, actually, yeah, Sarah. During the recession, um, we didn't lay anybody off. And we took jobs that we had a lower markup and we weren't making any money on. And I'm not sure, that, I mean, Doug's here, he can tell you for real what they were thinking. But they've told me about it that, um, and I was at the company, but um, that I think they were just really because they're really nice guys and they wanted to keep everybody going. Um, but it ended up, and I don't know, maybe you, it was all planned out on your master plan, but it was, they, when, when the economy started up again, we, had, we hadn't lost anybody and we were ready to rumble. And then it became you know, one of our best years kind of shortly after. historically significant it is. And then there are times when the alarm bells go off before you've even estimated the job and you, the sirens are going off and you just say, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> When we're looking at jobs and talking about jobs, um, we're in a competitive marketplace, you know, and um, oftentimes we're looking at our portfolio saying, gee, wouldn't it be great if we did a job in this area or a particular type of uh, project? Maybe it's a renovation of an old Georgian where we hadn't done something like that because people know us for new construction or um, in an area that we'd like to work in. So, you know, we make great efforts to try and get those types of projects so that we can have a, a larger, more widespread portfolio. Right, so sort of strategic project acquisition mm -hmm. in a way. Okay. Um, have any of you ever used kind of what projects you take on uh, as a sort of staff development tool? if there are people who are, say, assistants or project managers that you want to kind of give a chance to spread their wings a little bit on something that's maybe a little bit bigger than they might have had a chance. I mean, is that ever a thought in your minds or anybody else's here? I would say absolutely. Um, you know, one of the great things, uh, I've been at SRW for 26 years, and so um, we, we have relationships with all these clients, and all these houses and you know they're like our children we're very proud of them and um, you know we oftentimes do lots of uh, additions or buildings separate buildings and that's just a terrific way um, to bring people up within the office because it gives them a lot of ownership um, and it is sort of somewhat contextual because part of that painting is already done um, so it's, it's, it's a marvelous opportunity to, to give ownership to everyone within your firm. I, mean, I certainly do that with the designers who work with me. I mean, I, I oversee it, but I'm, I try to step back um, and, and let them really take over and become involved with the clients as well. Right. Anybody else have thoughts to share at this point? Let's get the... Uh, our sound people have asked us to make sure everybody has the uh, microphone before we talk. 
I just say sometimes it's more trial by fire too, because if you don't have, you know, if you're trying to stay lean and you have an opportunity that's coming and you don't have necessarily the, the perfect employee to handle it and you have someone in mind that could handle it, and there's the opportunity there. Right. Uh, you know, in the position we're in, over, you know, we're, we're downsized from 10 years ago for sure. Uh, but we have a lot of talented people that have had opportunities that way in the past few years, so. Right, and that actually kind of brings up the converse. It's like, are there times when you will knowingly take on a project that's gonna make people crazy because it's also so much fun or so insanely profitable or something like that? We certainly, uh, if, if it's going to be fun, it's, it's bring it on. I mean, uh, and, and you know that it's gonna be fun and profitable. Uh, you make time for that. Um, we just completed a project, again, there, there was a comfort level because repeat clients are so important. You'll, you know, bend over backwards, you know, if they've hired you the third, the fourth time, and there's a comfort level there. So if there's the fun factor, right, that you know that it's gonna be fun because you've worked with this person before, and they know you, and you know them, and it's gonna be a little more streamlined. So it may be in addition to what you're doing, but if, 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 if that's a home run, you know, um, we did uh, just because it's the most, it, mi it might be the most fun thing that I've worked on just because it's so different. A client bought a ranch house near um, uh, an Air Force um, what, installation from this hippie that did a 30-foot round peace sign, and he had a 30-foot round peace <laughs> sign in his front yard, and the owner said, and I want to keep it. And I went, well, absolutely. <laughs> so we started with that, and they did an organic vineyard around the restoration of this ranch house. And it was the most fun and most different thing. And um, I, I, the, the takeaway was that it, you know, it's like I don't know if I'll ever have a chance to do this again, you know, uh, because they were right on the mark in terms of where we wanted, you know, a client to be in terms of being creative, allowing enough cash to go in the project that we could do something, but not crazy. Um, and they were realistic. We both understood each other, and it, it really was worth. And everybody in the office was excited about it too. So it was a win-win. Just -win. talk a little bit about the dark side of taking yeah. on too many projects. Yeah. <laughs> Enough of this happy yeah. talk. Um, <laughs> um, what I just when you're taking on too much and people are over, they're stressed. I mean, my philosophy: is mistakes happen. That's when mistakes happen. And. My feeling about it is when you've got good people and you have faith in them, if they're starting to make mistakes or drop balls, you know, it's a, it's a systemic problem. And that's right the line that you want right, to ride. I mean, I know that in 2000 and, you know, kind of after it came back from the recession, we felt it in 2010, 2011. So kind of the years after that, we were really booming. And um, that was when, certainly speaking for myself, because I was a project manager then, that was when I felt like I don't know if I can really be in control of these jobs. And it's just you have to do what you have to do, but definitely the risk increased. So it's a very interesting, you know, and in our business, that's, you know, it's give backs. So it really, it's really a big impact on the business when you get to a certain point of stressing people, which you don't want to do anyway, but even if you're just a cold hearted capitalist, you shouldn't do it because you're increasing your risk. Yeah. 
Well, actually, to stay on the dark side for a minute, that also <laughs> another variable that we haven't really talked about and probably very few people will be willing to completely come clean about is quality. Have there ever been times when you have been tempted to make a little trade-off between what we can accomplish if we don't do it quite at our usual level, or do you see that as suicide, or how do you, how does anybody want to talk about that a little bit? It's suicide. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would agree with that for the most part. If, if, if quality, size, and cost don't kind of come together, it is suicide. But oftentimes, you know, we've done a few projects over the years where um, if the clients are motivated enough and they say that they'll stick to a certain program and they give you the directive that, hey, if you show me a window that I can't buy out of the Marvin window catalog, it's not going into my house. Um, and that's actually kind of a fun challenge because it's, it's making a very efficient Rubik's Cube. Um, I wouldn't say I'd like to run my whole office that way, mm -hmm. but oftentimes when we're asked to do a little gem of a project that has a tight budget, you can still do really powerful pieces of architecture that are simple in their nature. Um, you know, I, I don't think it wants to be the staple of what you do, but, you know, take it as a challenge um, and, and make a positive out of it. Any thoughts from the house about this one? So nobody wants to own up to ever <laughs> kind of letting yourself astray a little bit, not even a little bit. All right, um, well, we've spent a lot of time so far talking about kind of the interactions between the firm and clients and the outer world in a way, uh, and also some staffing stuff. What about aspects of managing workflow within the firm? sort of as project loads go up and down or as billable hours are played off against other things that the company needs to do but that aren't billable. Does anybody want to talk a little bit about that? Well, uh, it's a little organic. Again, we're at the comfort zone of, of a dozen people here. So, um, and having done it for so long, we've, we've tried it all different ways in terms of uh, organizing the company uh, uh, a meeting, uh, whether it's weekly, once a month, it just, it happens more organically now. It's not, uh, once a week was kind of too much. People started looking at their phones and kind of getting anxious because they really wanted to go back to their desk and why am I listening to what everybody else is doing in, in the firm. So um, it really is, is kind of figuring out what we have here and, and then what the teams are and how we can cross-pollinate the teams. Which, and, and teams are per project. We have you know, three or four project managers that run the, the various jobs. Um, and everybody is, is all hands on deck, really, depending on what the deadlines are. But um, generally, we don't need that check-in once a week. It's, it's uh, you know, we, we're all talking to each other daily, so it's, we really haven't had problem in that, in that regard, unless new work comes in and then all of a sudden there's a developer deadline that we didn't anticipate. I mean, I would say in my small environment in my office, it's, we don't have weekly meetings, we have almost daily meetings, I would say, where we, and it might just be for, you know, 10, 15 minutes, where we just like sort of go down quickly, like what is on the agenda 
what is the priority today, tomorrow, the next day, and so it's 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 really there's no there's no organized way that we do it. Right. So kind of the long term keeping track of things just kind of happens naturally in your head. Right. I mean, we we use we use a, a like an, a, a shared like a like almost like a Dropbox type thing where we, where we all like put in different things. But we also like to, I like to sit down and talk about it because things change daily with what I do, and um, so it's really it's just very informal. Yeah, we, we meet um, monthly, the project managers, and, and look at kind of, we have a big board too with magnets, Bob. Um, <clears throat> we have analog and digital going at the same time. But, um, so we, but we really do kind of depend on project managers to say, I mean, we can see, right? But we got to ask them, how, how's it going? Or, you know, do you feel like you're dropping balls? So that's the most important kind of opinion, really, is how they're feeling about it. And then in terms of the guys in the field, we meet weekly, and that's just a real a kind of more... Um, ongoing projects, how you do and who do you need type of thing. But um, it's not, it's, we don't have any formal, it really is how people are feeling about their workload is the most important thing. Right. I mean, does anybody in the room use a more technological kind of like critical path management software or some kind of tracking system that you recommend that you'd like to mention? Or is it all kind of done in the same way kind of, uh, by constant check-ins? Well, I and something called Asana. Anyone familiar with that? Yeah. Which is works well for us because we keep uh, track of sort of to-do lists by by project, and mm -hmm. and it's always really good when you can check it off. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say I really appreciate being in a partnership. Um, you know, we're sort of in the middle. We're not as big as you, and we're not as small as you. Um, and you know, it really is great to have guys that you can depend upon um, and to have partners who have different strengths who can you know jump into action and you know you can our office is organized in a space very much like this a, a factory sort of space and it's very open and and you know you can have a very direct dialogue and and you know that is the beauty of a of a partnership um, but we are sort of structured in the middle where when we feel the things rising, we, we all get in the room and, and you know just have a conversation about who's got what and you know who can help me do this because I got to get it out the door. Um, and you know our ethos is everything going out the door has to be good. And and so if we have to shift bodies to do it, we're going to do that. Keeping track just on a managerial level, especially in the smaller companies, of what people's stress levels and things are, that all kind of comes out naturally in this process. You don't have to. Uh, I have an interesting uh, It's funny and wasn't funny at the time. We had an employee <laughs> that, that pulled me aside and said, I didn't, uh, that was pretty dramatic. You guys were in the conference room, the three of you, your project manager and my business partner, and we were all working on something and, and, and he said it, it was very angry in there and I said angry what do you, what do you mean no we were just designing that was that was not a fight that was just our normal process you know none of us walked out of that room you know feeling damaged or you know that was a, just part of our, our design process so just making sure that the, the whole staff is on board with what you know because we were so comfortable in our mm -hmm. own little zone there yelling at sure. each other and getting <laughs> excited about a design or vice versa or having really strong opinions that 
you know, here is this person. And again, it, was, it, it wasn't in the open, but they could hear sort of through the conference room door, you know, uh, what was going on. So I had to sort of qualify that and invite them in for the next, for the next round. Exactly, exactly. Um, any input from thoughts? Got a very quiet audience tonight. I was expecting exactly the opposite. <laughs> so, this is odd. So we're covering everything you could possibly want to know about this topic. I take it. Um, in that case, I will. Um, I can't quite call this the dark side, but it's the provocative. Um, in retrospect, I kind of touched on this earlier, but I want to kind of come back to it because I'd like to get some specific kind of things. Um, are there projects that you've turned down that, in retrospect, you wished you had taken? It's kind of the opposite of what I was asking before, as we kind of get to. Or are there? Honestly, I can't, can't think of one. I mean, I feel like when I turn it down, I move on. Right. And you can't look back. You have to just move forward. So you've never ended up in a place where you thought you were going to be really busy and you turned stuff down, but then suddenly the projects you had didn't actually keep you as busy as you thought, or just is that part of the inherent uncertainty of things? I think you've got to put that measure into the mix, because if you have 10 projects, I guarantee that, at least within our office, a couple of them either don't go or they go on a different schedule, um, and you just have to recognize that you're going to get a certain percentage of that. But you asked a different question. Uh, are there projects that we wish we had taken? Absolutely. I'd love to be able to tell you about them, but... Even without names or locations attached. Yes. It wasn't immediate. It was much later. <laughs> On. We actually finished a big job with SRW recently, and we're fortunate enough that they recommend us to another job, but we were already committed to a prior uh, client that we had done. This would be our third project with them, and both projects needed to go out of the gates at the exact same time, and we're just really not geared to do that. Um, we, we really focus on our client relationship, and I, Sam and I had a big argument about this because Sam was so wanting to work with SRW again, but this other client is a very important client of ours, and I felt like we would have not served either client properly. So we actually turned that job down. I, I'm not saying we had it, but we were in consideration for the job at least, but we um, took ourselves out of consideration. Sam, so if Sam was sitting here today, he would be absolutely telling you he regrets that. Um, <laughs> I still think that given our relationship with our current project client, that it was the right thing to do even though I also, and I hope we have another opportunity, but it's a difficult situation when you know it's a great project, but I think you have to know what your bandwidth is, and um, you know, we're certainly not as big as these folks. Well, you have to sleep at night. Yes. You have to be able to live with yourself. Yeah, yeah, and I think to lose track of your clients, you, you'd end up doing everybody a disservice. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that was our experience on that note. That actually brings up a topic that hadn't occurred to me until just now, and this may be completely crazy, but has anybody ever considered thoughts about strategic partnerships for recommending projects to one another. So it's like if there's something that you know you can't take on, 
you might say, well, so-and-so could probably do a good job for you, and you kind of secretly have a general person's agreement with them that if they're in that situation, they might recommend you back, in a way. Is that collusion? this person would probably be your best in right. our opinion. But would that person then possibly, if he was or she was in that Hope situation, so. would he <laughs> do that back? Yeah, I, just, I was wondering if you've ever really discussed this as a strategy thing. It's well, kind we of like... About, um, we talk about it if there's... Uh, the thing is that a lot of times when we're wanting to turn someone down, it's because we think they're trouble. So we have to, so we have to call someone else. Well, we make Doug do it. Doug calls somebody up and says that he knows who he thinks might want to do it, but we do full disclosure. So that's really the only way we can live with ourselves on that because it's they got to know what they're getting into. Yep. Or that could be competitive behavior in the other way right. to go to the dark side is you intentionally send clients to somebody you want to no, go under. Kind of no, thing. no. no. But, uh, um, well, I think. Oh. Just a, a funny story on that. I remember when I was um, getting involved early um, in some of the builders' association peer groups and things, and uh, somebody told a, a, what sounded at the time like a really fun kind of thing to do, which was when you find a client that you think is going to be a nightmare, refer them to your competitor is what they said, right? So, um, so we kind of got a good laugh about that and say, that'll actually be pretty cool. But then we found we liked all our competitors so much that we just couldn't bear to do that. So, uh, um, but we, we talk about it, we laugh about it. But um, I think in general, um, the industry, you know, around here is pretty collegial and there's a lot of respect. So I've often, you know, had the opportunity and I've actually had the good fortune of having some friends refer work, uh, you know, friendly competitors, as they say, uh, have referred work and I've been very appreciative and tried to do the same. So, yeah, nothing strategic, but uh, on off chance. It's yeah. a good point. If I, I, this may be uh, more of a finishing comment, but I've been in business for 37 years and started with nothing and have risen to something. And um, when I said to my clients today and several of my employees that I was going to this event tonight to, to discuss this topic, they, they looked at me and said, you've been in business for 38 years, you haven't figured this out yet? <laughs> and the first thing Kyle said was, there's no real answer to this. And I kind of thought, phew. You know, because if there had been an answer and it came up and I'd be like, wow, I can't believe I spent 38 years and didn't figure that out. <laughs> but, but the truth is, it's all about quality. It's all about good relationships. And if you can't keep the happy balance, then it's hard getting up in the morning. So I think that's, there is no answer. You're correct. But I was hoping there would be, so here I am. <laughs> No, I mean, I, it's, I think it's clear from the discussion that there are a lot of ways of approaching this, so I'll kind of use that as a segue into a closer here. Uh, kind of for each of our four panelists, you know, of the things that have come up during this discussion or the things that have come to you in the last few days as we've prepared, is there any one thing that was new to you or that you would see as kind of a particularly important piece of advice as a takeaway for tonight? And we'll kind of start with... Uh, Keith and move on. Just to add on what, what, what you just said, I think, uh, you know, ha having, you know, I've, let's see, I've been doing this since 1979, right? And um, the, the takeaway for me at this point, 
for me personally in my career, which extends to my business, because that is the same thing, um, is the quality. I mean, it, it, you, if you're not working for that, you know, you have to be proud of what you're doing. Otherwise, that that day-to-day, -day, whether it's whether it's the heights of of working with a repeat client and doing a fantastic job or whatever that everybody's happy about, or you know, weathering the storm of a downturn in the economy, which is really awful. I've been down what, what to two or three cycles mm -hmm. of the, that, uh, and uh, had different versions in different firms in my career. Um, but you still have to the work itself and the quality of it has to be worthwhile. So that and it's nice to hear that everybody's consistently, uh, you know, saying that. So that that would be my takeaway. I, I think you hit it right on on the head. I've been sitting in the same pod with uh, with Jerry Hupe, my partner, um, for 26 years, and Jerry and I have always said to one another. When it stops becoming fun, we're going to go do something else. Mm -hmm. And um, while I can say it's definitely work, and there are definitely not some fun aspects to what we do, um, we're really proud of what we do. We like getting up in the morning, and I like coming to work and seeing the collection of people that we've got in our firm. And um, you know, we're really proud of the things that we make. Um, and I think people appreciate things that are made. It's it's something unique and it's a creative process and you can see it in our all the clients that come to us. They want to make special things too. Um, so that doesn't have much to do with tonight's topic, but it, it 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 is a mantra for how you should try and live your professional life because if you're not having fun, this is not the right profession. Right. Well, I guess similar to what you both said. I mean, there, there's been weeks and months where I've been miserable many days, but, and then there's been weeks and many months that I've been really happy, and so your, your, your happy days have to w w really outweigh the bad days. I mean, whatever business you're in, you're gonna have some bad days, but um, if you can organize your work life and your workload and the people around you and, and feel a sense of accomplishment and pride and just feeling good to be doing things for people, then I think that's the answer. Um, so for me, I'm in a very different position than these guys because I'm fairly new to my role. And so I'm listening very carefully to all of this. And I think that um, for me, I'm learning and thinking about the process of saying no and how much is the right amount and how much was the right amount for Doug and Al and how much is the right amount for me. Um, and I don't have the answer to that yet, but I know that never saying no is not the answer. So I'm kind of starting from there and moving backwards. Um, so I really appreciate hearing what you have to say about it because it kind of, you know, it's, it's heartening in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, first I'd like to thank all of you for coming for this. I hope it's been helpful. Uh, I would also obviously like to thank our wonderful panel for being so open and sharing all of these things. Uh, there will be time, actually, when we're finished, there's still time to grab another drink and get something to eat and actually chat individually with all these folks uh, and get more of their nuggets of wisdom, uh, maybe even a few that they weren't willing to say out loud in front of everybody. 
Um, I will also mention that we're always looking for topics for upcoming bad talks for future years that would be of interest and use to all of you because you are the community that we serve uh, as a group here. Um, and we do actually have two more bad talks coming up later this year with exact dates not yet chosen, but there will be one in at the very end of March or early April during design week, uh, which will be open to the public, which will be talking a little bit about kind of New England's developmental future and how we can kind of both plan for the future and preserve our architectural and building heritage. Um, and then a much more nitty gritty one, which will introduce particularly interest a few people here in the later spring, in late May, probably early June, we'll be talking about the challenges of marketing and PR for very small firms, uh, which I know will be close to a lot of people's hearts uh, here. Um, and so with that said, thank you very much tonight. And again, let's hear it for this wonderful group of folks up here.